We are rocking and rolling. We are rocking and rolling. Today we have uh, Mark Moses, who is the founding partner and CEO of CEO Coaching International. Um, he's coached over a hundred. Sorry. Today we have Mark Moses. At our, I was so cocky, and then this is what you I were do. like. Yes, you said. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll just get start at the top. Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I am your host, Chris Savage. I am joined, as always, by the wonderful Sylvie Lubau, <laughs> Brooklynite oh. extraordinaire. She won't let you forget it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you won't let me forget that I won't let you forget, but yes. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, Mark Moses <laughs> is our guest today. <laughs> um, Mark is the founding partner of CEO Coaching International, and they've coached over 875 of the world's top high-growth entrepreneurs. He's also a best-selling author. He wrote Make Big Happen and the follow-up Making Big Happen, which was, a, you know, I think it was one of the best-selling books in January of uh, 22. No big deal. <laughs> and we have a great interview with Mark. Talk to him while he's on his boat in the Mediterranean, which is how I always dreamed every episode of Talking Too Loud would be. Truly, yes. it was magical. Could you see the boat kind of like Oh, moving? the slow rocking? Oh, yeah, I saw Yeah, the it. slow rock. Yes, there was a <laughs> slow rock. And just so people know, you know, we recorded this on Zoom. Um, we might have had some- um, Some glitchy glitches. Some glitchy glitches. But you know, we take what we can get. It's not every day we talk to someone like Mark. Um, yeah, so Sylvie, what's, uh, what's going on with you these days? Um, what's going on with me? I got a couple of things. I got some TMJ pain, which I mentioned to you this mm -hmm. morning. Very unfortunate. Hasn't happened to me in a while, but uh, the old chompers must be grinding at night. What's TMJ for those who are listening? <laughs> oh God, is it temporal? Wow. What oh does no, it I don't mean. For? I know. Don't say the words. What does it describe? Oh. What it is? <laughs> it's like when your jaw is really tight, either from like clenching or grinding your teeth, usually in your sleep. Yeah, that um, sucks. And yeah, it, it really hasn't happened to me in, in a long, long time. And I woke up yesterday and I was like, holy Moses. But I don't feel anxious. Usually like that's what doctors will trigger. ask you. Like, are, a, it, yeah. If you're anxious and you're clenching at night, but I don't mm, feel anxious. Interesting. I feel pretty cool because oh. I I've been having a nice summer. That's well, I'm glad you're. I'm I'm so glad you're having a nice summer. I'm sorry <laughs> about the TMJ. I used to get it. Um, I got injured in high school, and uh, got it on the side of my face for a long time. And I can still sometimes get my jaw to click. Um, huh? It was very annoying. Maybe um, I have an injury that I don't know about. You know what solved it for me is I got a wrestling injury. I I poorly wrestled, obviously. Just um, learned something brand spanking new about yeah. you. And uh, I I hurt my back and my neck and my jaw as one dude just like wrecked me one time. Literally like I... suplexed me. It was horrible. Um, and then I did all this physical therapy trying to get to recover. And it wasn't until we did, I think it's called craniosacral physical therapy, where they like do like physical therapy on the top of your head. Because apparently, like, your skull is not, it has, like, you know, like, these little, like, look, I'm, I'm not a doctor. But my understanding is that there's <laughs> a, you have, like, your skull can, like, flex a little bit, right? And mm -hmm. if it's, like, more impacted because from, mm. like, an injury, it doesn't flex as much. And it was, like, it can cause everything to be askew. And so, basically, like, I, I did try all this different physical therapy. But once I did that, they were, like, massaging the top of my head, basically. The pain went away from my jaw. And it went away from my neck 
and it went away from my back. Oh my god! I need to find I need to find a cranial skull doctor. Yeah, just look craniosacral physical therapy, and you can find somebody. But it really made a huge difference. So, I mean, that's what we're here to do in this show. We're here to help people deal with TMJ. That's what this show's about. That's the podcast. <laughs> TTL. Talking too loud about, about TMJ. TMJ. Yes. TTL, TMJ. Um, yep. I do have something else I want to ask you, though, before we get to the interview, which is, do you know about the social network Be Real? No, I saw you tweeted about it the other day, but I didn't, I didn't did do anything with that tweet. Nothing? Yeah. Okay. So I did not know what this was until a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And my niece and nephews who are in their 20s were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do Be Real. And I was like, what is that? They're like, you don't know about this? Oh my God, you're so late. Oh my God, you, you no, you're so out of touch. Like, uh, um, which is classic for them. And anyway, what this app is, is it's a social network that mm-hmm. one time a day at a random time, it sends you an alert. And it's like, you have two minutes to quote, be real. And you take a photo of whatever you're doing. And it's a front facing photo and a rear facing photo at the same time. So you like take a, you're supposed to take a photo of like, something you're actually doing, you're being real yeah. and it gets your face too. And you yeah. can't see your face you're doing it. So it's like, you can't position like a perfect selfie. Like it's, it's okay. you can't do it. And then that one thing goes out. No one knows what time of the day it's going to hit. So it's yeah. just, just to capture you just, you know, everyone's in awkward situations or you're just what like, if you're pooping? Exactly. Well, there, apparently there's a lot of <laughs> not this. I don't think people are showing that, but I think there's a lot of people on the toilet. Um, but the point is like social media, so much of it is about sampling our lives to show this like hyper curated thing. And this is the opposite. And um, it's become my niece and nephew become their favorite social network. Like they look forward to it the most and they talk huh. to their friends the most on it. And I thought it was so interesting. And like if you are late, if you miss a two minute window, it tells people how late you are. Or if you retake it, it tells people how many times you retook it. So it's like, how real are you being? So I started using it, obviously, to like stay in touch with like my niece and nephew and a few other folks. And I got the post yesterday and it's like, I just came back from, um, you know, coming home and I'm doing laundry. So I'm like, fuck it. Like, I'll just like, so it's like me, a picture You're of- You're so real, Savage. I'm so real. I picture of like me doing laundry and whatever comments. This is, yo, you're finally getting real. This is the real <laughs> shit. I just thought it was really interesting because I haven't seen something new like this that has taken off so much that, I, you know, there's mm. a lot of people talking about TikTok. There's a lot of people talking about Snapchat at different points in time, but I hadn't I hadn't heard about this one. And yet it's it seems like it's picking up. All right. We might have to we might have to be real on TTL. That's true. TTL be real. TTL be real. Um, OK. Well, speaking of being real, let's get real with Mark coming in from his yacht, just being his coming true self. Coming in hot on the Com- yacht. Coming in hot. Um, and this was an awesome conversation. I took lots of notes throughout it. I'm sure everyone listening will. So let's let's cut to Mark. Get out your notepads. Get out your notepads. Mark, welcome to Talking Too Loud. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Good to be with you. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you're on a boat and you're in some place beautiful. <laughs> Uh, that seems clear from the background, but where are you right now? We just got into uh, Porta Cervo, Sardinia, uh, a couple hours ago, and uh, it's awesome. We're on a four and a half month uh, trek through Europe on our boat, and uh, we're about three months into it. And we're just having a blast. That's amazing. Now, four and a half months is a pretty big 
big commitment. Are you thinking like at three months in, are you like, I'm ready for the four and a half months to be up? You've got another month and a half. Or are you like, why don't I just live on this boat? You know what? I'm, I'm starting to get worried that there's only six weeks left. And, uh, we, <laughs> and I, I don't want it to run out. It's amazing. That's awesome. I've been traveling around a lot more this summer. I was in Greece for a while and Maine and uh, Martha's Vineyard. And it was like really interesting to be in this world where I can work remotely from these different places and also bizarre to, you know, get off of a call and then be on like an island and it's very hot and it's very beautiful. (laughs) And it's like, this is life right now. This is insane. Do you think that like after doing this, it's just like, how, how could I never not do this again? Or are you like, what, how do you think about that? I think that um, starting next summer, we'll do six months. Awesome. And it works. I, I've had this uh, company for 14 years and we've always been remote. So now that the, you know, the pandemic caused the rest of the world to catch up and be remote, it's, it's just been a way of life. That, now, this might be a little extreme uh, living on the boat for this long, but we like it. That's awesome. And, you know, I almost I got so excited. I almost didn't ask you the question I need to ask you to start the show, which is, uh, Mark, as you know, the show is called Talking Too Loud because I cannot control the volume of my voice when I get excited. But we love to start the show by asking our guests, like, what's got them talking too loud? So what's what's got you talking too loud these days? Chris, I'm just like you. My wife and kids tell me the same thing. (laughs) How can you be such a short guy with a big voice? (laughs) Man, I have no idea. It's been like that ever since I uh, um, reached puberty and uh, (laughs) little guy with a big voice. But no, what's got me talking loud is just doing this cool stuff. Uh, I've been cycling all over Europe and hiking all all around. And uh, it is just it's gotten my social uh, media community engaged in just living life to the fullest. That's amazing. And so, Mark, you're the founding partner and you're the CEO of CEO Coaching International, where you've coached hundreds of entrepreneurs and CEOs. What inspired you to get into coaching? I've always had a coach. When I played uh, competitive sports in high school, I played squash in college. Then I went on to win the U.S. squash championship. Oh, damn. And then I got into triathlon and had a coach for a swim coach, a bike coach, a run coach. And then I had a business coach over the years throughout my career. And one day I was speaking at an event and somebody walked up to me and asked me if I would become their coach. And I said, I don't know. And uh, maybe we'll try it out for uh, a month or two. And uh, that was 14 years ago. So got into it. it was just me for the first six years. And then I slowly began building a team after that. That's yeah, that's awesome. And I don't have as many coaches as you, but I have a fair amount of them and have found it to be really important. I have a, uh, do you know Vistage? Of course I do. I, I'm in, I used to be a member. Yeah. So I'm in Vistage. Um, and then, you know, obviously our board of advisors. And then I have like, I use this future thing that has like a workout coach and all these like different things. But can you walk through for somebody who hasn't had a coach? I think especially a business coach, like a leadership coach. Um, what does that actually work like when it's working well and what should people look for? So what I really enjoy about having a coach, and I think over my career, maybe I've had five of them. One of them was that you mentioned Vistage. One of them was the former CEO of Vistage for 10 years. He was my coach and and it was really good for me. And what I've learned over the years of being coached, a lot of it is in the preparation I do. For example, these are the top three or four issues on my mind 
these are the choices that I have on these issues. These are the pros and cons. And this is the impact on me and my organization. And just that preparation, then I would shoot that out to my coach to review. Like a lot of the heavy lifting has already been done in that I've already really thought through the issues because I had that deadline for my next coaching session. You look like you wanted to say something. Uh, go ahead. Well, no, I'm, I'm also wondering, I think some people who have not been in the position or their company is smaller. Can you explain the difference between a coach and a board? Yeah, I, let me start. Let me start with the coach and then I'll go to the board. So okay. I think the coach is to help you determine what it is you really want, whatever that time period, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and determining what the activities are that you can keep score on that'll drive the outcome that you want, and then have accountability in place to ensure you're marching down that way. Also, to have those difficult conversations that you might not have anybody else to talk about. Usually, a conversation might be, I'd like to go from, let's say, a $5 million business, and I dream about having a $30 million business, just to make up some numbers, and then I'll ask, why do you want a $30 million business? And what impact is that going to have on you, your company, your life, or whatever? And are you willing to do the work? Now, the issue that typically comes up is, well, I got this team of people that I put together when I started the business. And I'm really not sure if that's the same group that'll take me. It might have been a good group to take me from zero to three. And then it might be different people to go from three to 10. And it's clearly different people to go from 10 to 50 or 100 or et cetera. And that's, that's hard. Those are difficult discussions. Who does the CEO or entrepreneur typically talk through that with? Now, let me move to board. So the board typically meets quarterly. They're not as engaged as a coach that you might be meeting with every week or two, firstly. Secondly, they're not as tuned into your business as the coach might be. But as a business gets bigger, having an advisory board of people that can help you with some of the biggest issues that you're trying to solve, maybe it's some industry expertise, maybe it's some capital raising expertise, and that culmination of a board could add some real value to the business. In my case, and I don't know that I recommend this, but in my 30s, when uh, the former CEO of Vistage was my coach, he was also on my board along with other folks. And I liked having him on my board because he really knew my business. Yet sometimes I think he might be in conflict in being a good coach and a good board member. So I, I, I think it's a good idea to separate those two things. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think about that a lot in terms of like people, you know, I'm going to get different things from the folks I, I'm in Vistage with than I'm going to get from the people on my board that I may even get from an executive coach, right? Like you should expect different inputs based on who the group is and what they care about. Um, and I think you put that really well. Having been a Vistage member for five years and having been an EO member, Entrepreneurs Organization for mm -hmm. 20 seven years and YPO member for 21 years. Yeah. What I learned in those groups, it's, um, it's only about me once or twice a year. So even in forum, right? Nobody wants to hear you present on the same issue 
every month, it's like, hey, dude, it's time you listen to the advice or don't, but please stop bringing it up. I'm getting tired of listening to it. So what's neat about coaching is it's always about you and the issues that you're dealing with. It's all vested in you versus vested in the group. Although there's good learning, watching some of the issues that others go through, and then you get to give input too. And we like to say when one teaches, two learn. So when you're giving input, you're also learning. So I think there's a benefit and uh, there's use for all of those, whatever resonates with you during your stage of the journey. That's that's awesome. Um, can you, you said something also in there about scaling. And I mean, you've obviously scaled multiple businesses yourself and grown them and sold them. And you've now helped so many entrepreneurs do this. Um, and then talked about the team and how you need a different team to scale to these different levels. Is that the secret? Basically, just having the right team for the for where the business is, but the team is going to be constantly changing if the business is growing. The secret is I, I'm a big fan of Jim Collins and all of his books. And uh, yesterday on my long hike, I was listening uh, again to his book Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0, and that was the big point he was making. You could have a bad idea and great people, the business is going to perform. You could have a great idea and just mediocre people, you're going to struggle. So from my perspective, what I've learned in my own businesses and in 14 years of coaching, you're only as good as the people that you have. And my advice to anybody that asks would be, what does your organization look like three years from now? Or what do you dream it to look like? And would you enthusiastically hire each person on your leadership team three years from now when you're at that level? The answer is typically no. And uh, then you ask, do you believe that all of the people on your leadership team are capable of taking you to that level that you dream of being three years from now? The answer is typically no again. So the question is, well, then, hey, dude, why do you still have them? And why not go out and find the absolute best? Because if you do, the probability you're going to achieve those dreams that you have are much higher. And when you're evaluating talent at that level, and you're trying to imagine, you know, three years from now, I've got my roadmap, I know the things I want to deliver to the market, I have a, you know, a ballpark of like how big I think the company can be. How do you evaluate talent when you haven't done that thing before? Yeah, that's a great question. You know by asking the questions that I just asked, would you enthusiastically rehire them at that level three years from now? That question is pretty polarizing in that as you think about it. And then you ask, do you believe they could take you from A to B? And where, where a lot of leaders struggle is they go, well, I really like the person. They've been here for a really long time, yet they've never walked down that road before. And you know what? Neither have I. And so the best advice I could give is it's find the people that have already walked down that road. So if you want to be a $200 million company and you're currently at 50 as an example, find somebody that's already taken a company from 50 to 200, 300, 500, et cetera. And the probability goes up because they have different skills different skills of discipline and accountability and project management and how to inspire a team when you have a small team versus maybe you mentioned to me earlier, you had 200 people. Imagine it's 2000 people now 
really, it's a different skill set managing all of that and leading all of that. This is some gold. If you're listening to this right now, uh, Mark is giving you gold and gifts on, <laughs> on trying to help you avoid issues that can come up. Um, and I think like it's really easy, as you said, to just like look at your team and think, oh, like this is the people who are here versus like what we actually need. Uh, but it's shocking how much value and how different it is to run an organization when the people have actually done this stuff before. Chris, let me make another comment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I have data to back this up. So I've only been doing this for 14 years as uh, running a coaching company. And we've had <laughs> 50, 51 exits. Six of them have been over a billion dollars. And um, we've had 34 of them that have between 100 million and a billion. And the rest have been eight-figure exits. People ask me all the time, what do those guys and gals have in common um, that the others do not? And that's what we wrote about in the book, Making Big Happen. Here's 30, 40 case studies of people that have actually done this. And these are the things they had in common. Yeah. Well, check out that book. It seems like the next move. Um, <laughs> so you've built and sold two successful companies. What are the biggest lessons you've learned about building a business and selling the business. I mean, obviously you've helped so many other entrepreneurs do this, but like when you simplify it, what does it look like? Well, first you got to know where you want to go. So get clear on what is success to you and success for you might change as your business grows up. So you may say, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if I took this new startup and someday I was doing $10 million a year and maybe making 20% margins or 2 million for me, that would be a really good life. And then you start sniffing it and you start seeing it and you go, well, this has been pretty cool. Could I 2X that? Could I 5X that? And you start believing that you can, and then you start building a plan to do that. So that would be one thing. The second thing I would say is, and I mentioned this earlier, so I'm not gonna belabor this, it's all about the people that you have on your team that fit your values. So don't hire somebody just because you think they're great. If they don't fit your values, you're gonna end up blowing yourselves up anyway. So make sure that they do. And then I speak all over the world and I always ask audiences this question. What is the number one specific and measurable activity you will keep score on that will drive the outcome that you want? And most people look at me and go, hey, can, hey man, can you say that again? <laughs> What's a specific and measurable activity you can keep score on that will drive the outcome that you want? And they'll usually give me an outcome, not an activity, or they'll give me a theme like do something better, like hire better people, uh, have better customer service, better delivery times, et cetera. And if you can clearly define the one thing, the one activity that if you did more of, you'll drive the outcome that you want. I'll give you one example. A client of mine says, I want to do $70 million in new business next year. I said, great. What's the number one activity that'll drive that outcome that you can keep score on? He says, prospect meetings. I said, great. How many? He says, 400. I go, great. 400 prospect meetings in activity. But it's not the root activity. It's like, how, what are the specific and measurable activities that are going to drive you to get 400 prospect meetings? He says, that's a good question. He says, I do these seminars all the time. 
And if I can get 2,000 people that attend my seminars, 20% of them I can get into prospect meetings. I said, good. Hey, you're handsome and all that, but how are you going to get 2,000 people to come and listen to you? <laughs> you're not that handsome and you're not, <laughs> you're that, not that good that a speaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the answer was 21,000 phone calls to the employees of engineering firms in Kansas City. And I'm going, wow, that's really specific. First of all, are there that many employees in Kansas City in engineering yeah. firms? And he said, don't worry about that. There are plenty of those. So where does this break down? If you don't do the root activity, make the calls, you don't get the people to seminars, you don't get the prospect meetings, you don't get your outcome. So it's just that simple. I think it is that simple. For a lot of businesses, it's, look, you're in the marketing business. And uh, so I would just say leads. For a lot of businesses, it's leads. How do I get enough leads? Because once I got leads, I know what my conversion rate's going to be. I know what my cost is going to be to convert those. I know what my CPA or cost per acquisition is going to be, et cetera, et cetera. And if I put more gas on the fire, arguably, I ought to be able to 2x, 3x, 5x, et cetera. And uh, so if each firm could figure out what is the activity that will drive that outcome, that's the magic. One of my clients is uh, the largest Verizon dealer in the country. And we've gone from 70 million 11 years ago to 3 billion in revenue now. And look, during the pandemic, it was really hard because think about it retail um, during the pandemic, a lot of the stores Super were closed. Hard. Yeah, crazy hard. Yeah. At one point, traffic was down 80%. We had no control over traffic. We couldn't talk more people to coming in. And over the course of the whole year, we still averaged down. 30% in traffic on a blended rate for that year period. But we beat our plan by over 25% in profit. So what drove that? When people came into a Verizon store, we needed, what is the specific and measurable activity we have control over to drive the outcome that you want? So picture yourself, you're walking into a store. I can't just sell you a phone. I need to make sure you buy some other stuff when you come in. AirPods, maybe an insurance for it, maybe a case. All the margin is made in the accessories. Mm -hmm. So we learned to, we call it EGIT. Every guest, every time we do these five things, we do these five things, will meaningfully move more accessories to you, the customer coming in the store, and that enabled a massive beat in profit. I chuckled then because I literally just walked into a Verizon store and this exact thing happened. And <laughs> here I am with a new phone case, new phone case, new phone, Beautiful. new phone case. <laughs> Lo love to hear it. Um, I want to go deeper, which is you have the root cause thing. And that's a perfect example with the Verizon store. But there's also other problems. So how do you, there's going to be other problems in the business. It's just a reality, right? Like you have enough people, you have enough stuff going on. It's not going to be one thing that breaks at a time. It's just, as you get bigger, there's more things that break and more things that work. And like, how do you help guide someone through if they have that, they get to the root cause thing. Is it just like the one, you tell the company, this is the most important thing. Just focus on this. And everybody else, there's like lots of other things you should improve, but like, it's not going to be the driver. How do you guide people to balance those different things? It's a great question, Chris. So I think each business needs um, per year, maybe three big goals for the year. Maybe it's just two, maybe it's just one. 
And uh, for example, when I, I coached Grasshopper, grasshopper.com for mm -hmm. uh, six years, and that was a lead generation machine, getting people to sign up for the entrepreneur's phone system. So one, it was really about most of the time, it was about generating more leads and then converting the leads that came in. But then we had a massive outage, you might remember, where we were down. And think about all the customers that were down. So we had to change our number one goal to no outages, none, none, because our business could be over with another outage because our customers were so upset. So then the goal that year was no outages. And if by chance there's an outage, we failed to a backup system so the customer doesn't know or doesn't feel the pain of the outage. No other goal mattered that year because if we blew it again and we had had some smaller outages, we would go out of business. Got it. And so in that world, the change happens, you know, as it always does, happens mid-year, the outage occurs. It's clear if this happens again, you're done. So you just throw everything out and you're like, look, everyone, it doesn't matter what else we said we're going to do. This is it. And like they've switched the one most important goal to that. And then if I assume like over time, you layer the other things back in. That's right. Well said. Think about, remember the stroller company um, that had the issues with young kids getting their fingers cut off because um, they were getting caught in the stroller or thinking like the peanut butter company that had salmonella in their peanut yep. butter. Or uh, years ago, you may be too young to remember this, but I remember really well when Tylenol, all the Tylenol in the world had to be recalled because there was like cyanide in the Tylenol. Imagine how the company ever recovered from something like that. So you may have very good intentions. You're running down the road. You got your goals. You know the activities. They'll drive the outcome. You're upgrading your people, doing all that stuff. And then sometimes shit just happens. And now you just need to deal with it. It's like for all our businesses, COVID just came out of nowhere. And we all had to deal with it. And now we have another challenge that we're all facing, which is like an uncertain economy. Um, potential? Are we in a recession? Is it? Is it a potential recession? How would you? How would you describe it right now? Oh, Chris, I have done now four podcasts on preparing for the recession. We got the recession checklist, playbook, scenario plan, <laughs> cash bridge analysis, liquidity test, all that stuff that we prepared for this. However, it's interesting, right? Two quarters in a row, we got. Uh, negative GDP. So arguably we're in a recession for sure. Decline it. Number yeah. one. Number two, inflation's at 9%. That's a problematic issue. And despite unemployment being still really low, and even with the report that just came out on Friday, it was like, wow, it's shocking that unemployment's still this low. Yet there are, if you just Google all the companies that have had massive layoffs, it's big. Yes. The trend is it's going to get hard and it's going to get hard for most businesses and most businesses are going to need to make a decision, which is probably going to cause them to make some decisions that are they're going to have to do with people. So people are saying one side of the equation, what do I do? 9% inflation. If I don't give everybody a 9% raise, everybody's getting paid a little bit less. But do I do that? What about maybe some people I might have to let go? if business begins to slow. Here's my recommendation on dealing with the potential of a recession. 
do your analysis on what are the leading indicators to let me know my business has been affected. Is it slow in sales? Is it an eroding gross margin? Is it the time it takes to close a sale? Is it my leads are less than they were before? Are my costs per leads going up? Are my conversions declining? Is my cost to acquire a client going up? Those are some of the factors. And then I have all our clients prepare. What will you do when you know your leading indicators are warning you? Do it now. So if, um, and I, I just looked at analysis this morning from one of my clients that says he's got a metric that's operating expenses over gross profit. And when that, he's got these bars on ratios that what happens at 45%, 50%, 55%, and 60%, what he will do if that happens. So rather than wait to see you in the middle of it, and now you're panicking because you've already eroded profit or eroded cash, what's wrong with doing a little extra scenario planning right now? So it's a little extra work. And then make sure you got a detailed cash flow forecast based on each of the variety of those scenarios, because you can survive if you still have cash. If you got credit and you start violating some of your covenants, well, that cash could begin to erode if you get margin called by your bank. So I, I do believe to everyone, the best thing to do is some scenario planning on what if this happens, what do I do? What if that happens, what do I do? And that way you're not winging it when it does happen, get caught flat-footed. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's funny because, I mean, you and I don't know each other really and we haven't talked before, but as you're going through, I'm like, well, I feel good that we've done this. I feel good that we've done that. We haven't done that one. Okay, I should probably take a note. Like, <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, it's it's a weird thing, I think, to be in this moment, right? Like in some bizarre way, like for us, at Wistia, it was like COVID hit. This is insane. Everyone's home. We have to manage this like transition to remote. We paused hiring. And then after like a month, we realized we saw more demand. And then it was like, okay, this is insane. We have to hire. And it's just, we've grown like a ton. Um, and then I've talked to a lot of business owners. I'm sure you've talked to way more that are basically at this moment, they're like, hmm, this is a more confusing moment in a lot of ways. Like COVID was very like cut and dry. It was like, all right, just don't see another human being and then see what happens. And now it's like, well, there's inflation. Is inflation going to stick? Is it not? What's driving it? Is it energy? Is it shipping? Is it food costs? Is it you know, the war? Like, What are the different things? And then you have slowing growth. And it seems like even, even if it's a temporary thing, like a very temporary thing, it still has to work its way through the whole system, right? Like everyone slows down because of fear of a slowdown that inherently creates some slowdown of some kind that then has to ripple through the system of people, you know, letting go folks on their teams or doing other things. Um, and then those people are that there's less jobs that are open and then the wages change. And it's like, it's weird to feel like another macro level, which is really the continuation of the first macro level event. That is, we all have to respond to, and yet every business is going to respond differently based on like where they sit in, uh, you know, what businesses pay for and consumers pay for and where people spend their attention and stuff. Chris, you look young enough. You probably don't remember 
or didn't feel 2008, 9, 10. Yeah, we were, um, we were four people in 2008. And I remember I was like, well, just slow it down. I was like, good for me. Like, it just like, let us like grind it out. So we were very unaffected by 2008. Yeah. So the, these things happen uh, about every 10 years. So it's due to happen. And if you've been around and been through a couple of these or two or three of these before, you know, what's going to happen and you know, they're going to, it's going to last 18 months ish, maybe up 24 months. There's going to be a slowdown and uh, it'll slow down. You'll feel it coming. And then um, a lot of business will struggle during that time. There's opportunity for many businesses, especially those that are small or starting up. They can capture business from others that don't have big infrastructure. And then it's going to blow by and then the life's going to normalize again. I think this is just part of what happens in the economy. One of the things that, as you were talking a moment ago, one of the hard decisions businesses need to make, look, inflation's up 9%. What if your costs have gone up 9% or more because your suppliers or vendors have raised costs on you? What do you do with your customers? Do you pass that along? And do all your competitors pass it along too? Or now you're competing? Are they going to take skinnier margins? What if you've pre-baked and you've committed to buying a whole bunch of stuff already? And let's say you got a bunch of inventory or stuff, and or you committed to buy a bunch of inventory and maybe you've sold ahead of it and now costs have gone up. So you're um, financial equation and your gross margins way out of whack right now. So these are some of the things that businesses ought to think about now before they're in it. Such good advice. Okay. So what's next for you and what's next for CEO coaching international? What's next for me, I'm going to spend, um, uh, six days here in Sardinia and, um, and have a little fun. And then I just learned something. I learned it about two weeks ago that I didn't know. You're not allowed to be in the EU for longer than 90 days. And uh, we're at like 80 some right now. <laughs> and uh, so we're going, oh my God, what are we going to do now? And most of the countries that you can get to by boat are in the EU, except a few. <laughs> so what's next for me is uh, on Sunday, we are flying to Croatia and our boat's going to meet us over there. Um, so we, we're going to go to Croatia, Montenegro, and Albania uh, and spend the rest of our time there because we can't be in the EU anymore. <laughs> What's next for CEO coaching is... That US. sounds tough. So, that sounds, you've got a, it's a, a hard life you're living over there. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> uh, what's next for CEO coaching? Uh, today we have uh, 60 coaches. Uh, they're former retired uh, CEOs of like Mercedes-Benz, Procter & Gamble, Samsung, Goodyear, Home Depot, Under Armour, Xerox, Tektronix, et cetera. And uh, these guys coach our 500 or so clients. We see ourselves five years from now with 2,500 clients and uh, 200 coaches. So, and truly own the McKinsey of our space um, in the coaching industry. And Forbes put on an article a couple of weeks ago predicting that the coaching industry will surpass the consulting industry. Really interesting. So wow. a bit of a shift. And even for us, uh, we find that uh, some of the people that would normally go to BCG or uh, McKinsey or Deloitte for some of that consulting work and it, that's typically for private equity firms, they might spend a million and a half or $2 million 
to get that big report from a McKinsey and we could do it for meaningfully less and then help them implement it. So we're beginning to pick off some of the business from the consulting firm. So we could, we see that we see that flip in and the consulting firms are going to need to adjust how they do their own business. That's very interesting. And that's awesome. Well, look, best of luck. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people connect with you? What's the best way for them to, to learn more about you and your business? Well, they can connect with us at uh, CEOcoachinginternational.com. We have two books, Make Big Happen, which was released about five years ago. And the book we released in January, uh, Making Big Happen, which was uh, the number one best-selling book in uh, the US in the month of January, and number five on the Wall Street Journal. Amazing. Thanks. Thanks. That was cool. And um, Or they could send me an email at markmoses at ceocoaching.com. Awesome. Mark, thank you so much for being here. I'll leave you with this final thought for your listeners. And maybe you too, Chris and Sylvie. Um, There are three kinds of people. Those that make big happen, those that let things happen, and those that ask, what happened? Which one are you? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make big happen over here. Um, I know you will. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. Enjoy the rest of your trip. You know what's great about Mark is he has done so much. You know, he's built these companies, he's helped all these entrepreneurs, he's written these books, but a lot of his answers are so fundamental. He's like, what is the most important metric in your business, basically, that will drive your business forward? Like, what's the one activity? Input. The root activity. The root activity. The root activity. What's the one root activity that if you do that the most, you'll be successful? And yet it is so easy not to talk about that and not to do that in every case, like in our lives. And, you know, it's just like you want to be in shape. What do you need to do? It's like every day work out, every day eat right. Like we know what the answer is, but actually doing it is hard, you know? No, oh, I, I, the, the root activity discussion was fascinating and that it like it gets. Like that he was saying that people like often start big or they start with the outcome they want to see. And like you have to like peel the layers back and back and back so that the case example that he gave, the guy was like, I need to make X number of phone calls. Like that was I I really liked how he walked us through that process. Yeah, it's simple, but incredibly powerful and very easy not to do. Like, I think that's what I was thinking about is like, you know, as someone who's run a company that's gotten a lot bigger there's a million things that can distract you. There's a million fires that come up and opportunities that come up. And it's like, oh, I just want to go after this opportunity right now. It seems so important. I have to do it. Or we have this problem. I have to fix it right now. And yet, like, if you distract yourself, and we've done this in the past. I've made this mistake. Spindrift. Brought to you by. Brought to you by Spindrift. (laughs) Sorry, I had to clear the throat there. I've made that mistake. And it's basically, it's like, to go back to the health analogy, it's like, wait, why am I not as fast as I used to be? Or like, why am mm-hmm. I not sleeping as well? Or why am I not, you know, why doesn't this shirt fit right? And it's like, oh, I stopped doing the most fundamental thing. And totally. it often it's because it's easy to take those things for granted. It's like, of course you're doing yeah. it. Um, yeah. So I thought that was very, very cool and helpful advice basically for like anyone running anything, anyone doing anything. It's a very universal thing. Well, it's funny too, like, I guess the other 
simple takeaway that I had was like, it's so easy to understand like why an athlete would need a coach, right? Like you want to get better. Yes. And like, I guess before we had this, before we did this interview, it felt like a harder leap to make in my mind. Like why would a CEO need a coach? And then after this interview, I was like, every CEO should have a coach. Like obviously you should have a person who is like dedicated to helping you think through these bigger issues. So I would go further in that I don't think just CEOs need coaches. Like I think true. I think in an ideal world, everybody has this. And I like to think about it, what you're just talking about. But like if you're a pro athlete and you have like, you know, pick any sport, but it's like you have a throwing coach and you have a, yeah. you know, and you have like an outfielding coach. You have all these specialized people who help you with very specialized things. And that's taken as completely normal to be like world class. Of course, that's what you yeah. do. And it's like, if you want to be world class in what you're doing in your work, there's going to be someone who can help you with certain aspects of that. And it, if you can get access to it, I think it makes like an enormous, enormous difference. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just like so relevant, but it, it can be a mental block. Like, do I need this? Should I do that? Yeah. Does that mean I'm yeah, not actually talented like, or whatever? And it's like, no, we can all, we can all always do better. There's a reason why the best do it. Get that coach. Sylvia, I have a question for you. Another question. I know I asked you a question earlier. We went off topic, but so many questions. So TTL growing. You know, growing. We've had over 50 episodes. We see those subscriber numbers ticking up. We see the time spent watching this thing and listen to it going, which is amazing. We don't have a name for the TTL fans. Oh, snap. You're putting me on the spot, dude. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's no, no, it's a it's a great it's a, it's a, it was. A, yeah, shoosh. So if you're listening right now and you're thinking, I know what we're called, please tell us. Uh, just <laughs> write in ttlpod at wistia.com. Hit us up on Twitter. C Savage on Twitter. Wistia. Sylvie. Sylvie, what's your Twitter handle? Give me the loot, of course. Oh, of course. Give me the loot on Twitter. Um, hit us up if you think you have a good name. Yep. Uh, right now, the leading one in my mind is the Yappers. No? <laughs> <laughs> the Yappers. <laughs> uh, I got to think for a minute. The Yappers. Okay. I don't I'm think thinking. that's it. That's no. It's definitely not it, but yes, I'll I'll get there. Okay, all right. Or well, I think, an audience member will get there. Yeah, we need a name. It's yeah. As the audience keeps growing, it just seems crazy to me not to have a name, and also not to include you all more in this show in terms yeah. of how we build the show and who's coming on and things that you want us to cover and things that you like and things that you don't like. You know, we do the surveys, we talk to people here or there, we look at emails, a bunch of different stuff. But like, we want your input. So please, um, please let us know what you think. Definitely. And with that, uh, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe. Um, TTL is at wistia.com. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Get in there, throw a rating. Makes a difference. Means more people can find <laughs> us. We're posting episodes now also on YouTube. And so you can watch on YouTube. You can listen on YouTube. Um, and yeah, wherever you listen, it is helpful to us. It it's it helps us grow the audience, it helps us get better guests, all those things. So uh just we we appreciate you, world. Yappers. <laughs> no, yacker, no. Um, no. TTL heads. No. Uh, TTL heads. I don't think that's it. It's not it. We've gone off the deep end here. 
I think that's Time it. Time to wrap it up. Yeah, I think so. The end. Goodbye. The end. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.